I believe my last visit to Aiglon was in 2007, 15 years ago. And I would like to thank Nicola Sparrow, Karen Sandry, and Tom Duckling for this invitation to participate in the gathering. I'd also like to thank Tilly for that wonderful reading of my poem. What is the opposite of a gathering? I suppose you'd say it's a dispersal, a scattering. When I arrived at Aiglon in September of 1970 to begin the upper fifth form year, I was feeling very scattered. Or, since the entire village was wrapped in a dense fog that day, I was feeling fog-bound. My family had moved seven times in seven years, beginning in Canada, proceeding to Massachusetts and Connecticut, then to London, England, and ending in Lausanne. In each place I lived, I had tried to make friends. With each move, I left these friends behind. I'm sure others here today are quite familiar with this experience. To this uprootedness, however, was added the experience of intense homesickness because I had never lived away from home. I clearly remember walking up the hill toward Les Ecoves, where I thought I could see a corner of Lac Léman in the distance. This view made me even more homesick because I knew Lausanne, home, was somewhere just out of sight. Of course, time passed, and within a month or two, I was enjoying myself. Aiglon, in those days, was a particularly lively place. It was only about half the size it is now. I'm deeply moved to see this huge group, this new generation all brought together. And it had recently gone co-ed. And certain concrete applications of the founder John Corlett's philosophy still prevailed, including cold showers, outdoor exercise called PT, even in the snow every morning, a rank system, running punishment laps, and really atrocious food. The teachers were still called masters, and in a sense, the American Revolution was being fought all over again, even though this was the period of the Vietnam War, because at least half the school was of American extraction, some having come directly from the social upheaval in the United States, and the strict hierarchy of the British public school system represented for these students, and here I include myself, an oppressive social order to be subverted whenever possible, even if it could not be overthrown. I had attended several different kinds of schools before reaching Aiglon, and I would go on to a large and well-established boarding school in the United States before I attended college there. But in the 50 years since I lived on this hillside, I have come to understand that in some profound way, 
The gathering of which I was a part for two years at Aiglant was definitive for my life. It allowed me to overcome my own scattering and become part of a community. Gathering is a social phenomenon, certainly, but it also has a geographical dimension. I said that Delaware House, when my parents and I arrived on that September afternoon long ago, was wrapped in a dense fog. Imagine my astonishment when I woke up the next morning. The fog had cleared and the view of the mountains was like nothing I had ever seen before. The mountains were gathered too. I would learn to name them. The Miroir de l'Argentine, the Grand Mouveron, Petit Mouveron, Don Favre, Don de Morcle, Don du Midi. Here is how the Biedeker's guidebook of 1928 describes Villar. Splendidly situated above, high above the Rhone Valley, the environs are park-like with numerous viewpoints and shady spots. The air is mild but bracing and there is no north or east wind. Magnificent view, famous alpine glow. I was given two years in the constant presence of these mountains and their gathering, millions of years old, gathered something in me as well, something I've carried with me all my life. The 19th century poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge described the effect on him of walking in the Lake District in England, quote, I never find myself at one within the embracement of rocks and hills, a traveler up an alpine road, but my spirit courses, drives, and eddies like a leaf in autumn, a wild activity of thoughts, imaginations, feelings, and impulses of motion rises up from within me, a sort of bottom wind that agitates the whole of me. I think that my soul must have pre-existed in the body of a chamois chaser. The farther I ascend, the greater becomes in me the intensity of the feeling of life. For his part, the poet George Gordon Lord Byron thought of shepherds playing their pipes in ancient Greece or in the Bible when he was in these mountains. And he wrote, the music of the cow's bells in the pastures, the shepherds shouting to us from crag to crag and playing on their reeds with the surrounding scenery realized all that I have ever heard or imagined of a pastoral existence. This was pure and unmixed, solitary, savage, and the effect I cannot describe. I have lately repeopled my mind with nature. It may seem hard to recognize the world described by Coleridge or Byron as being the world of Chezières Villard, but I remember looking out the window of Claremont during a class in the autumn long ago and seeing and hearing the cows being driven down the road from the high alpine pastures where they had been all summer. This annual movement of livestock up and down the mountains, even has a name, transhumance, and it has been going on for centuries. 
By offering you those quotations by Coleridge and Byron, I realize I am creating a new kind of gathering, which is a gathering of writers who have loved and been moved by these mountains, this landscape. This gathering would include at least one more poet, Percy Bysshe Shelley, and it would include a mad art critic named John Ruskin, who dedicated one entire volume of his five-volume study of the painter J.M.W. Turner to contemplating the geology and the natural history of these mountains. Gatherings are important to us, of course, not only because humans are social creatures who need other humans, but because we gather other people's experiences and impressions in order to compare and confirm them with our own. Clearly, mountain landscapes were a source of inspiration to Coleridge and Byron. Coleridge experienced the intensity of the feeling of life, and Byron declared that he had repeopled my mind with nature. Neither Coleridge nor Byron was religious in any conventional sense, and yet there seems to be a religious dimension to their experience of the mountains. When John Corlett founded Aiglon in 1949, he did so with certain principles in mind. One of these was a commitment to that part of each one of us, he wrote, which with development is capable of a vision or direct apprehension of the purpose of life of the true nature of ourselves, of the world in which we live, and of such other worlds or states of being as may exist besides. Perhaps you'll agree with me that Coleridge, Byron, and John Corlett are all describing the same thing. I did not yet know 50 years ago that I would become a poet. One Saturday morning, deeply homesick, I sat in a glass-walled library room in Belvedere, and I wrote some words down on a blank piece of paper. This made me feel better, and so I have never stopped writing words down on a page. The gathering of these mountains has always been in my mind's eye a kind of theater of the imagination, giving rise to poems, though I know I am not Coleridge or Byron or Shelley. And the gathering of people at Aiglon sustained me 50 years ago, even as it does now. I'm grateful to be with you today. <laughs>